This morning's scripture reading is from John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you for joining us. I know it's so challenging as we're separated and apart, meeting in homes all around the area, and yet we're together in this moment as a gathering. And our prayer is that particularly as we look into God's word today, that this act will bind us together, that God's spirit will unify us around his word. You know, we've, in the last few weeks, we've been following the life of Christ, uh, culminating in Good Friday, his death and burial, and then celebrating last Sunday, of course, his resurrection on Easter Sunday. And now we turn our gaze and our attention towards the ways that Jesus walked out and lived out his mission to bring salvation to all people. This new series called Jesus Saves. And our first story takes place in John chapter 9, the story of Jesus encountering and transforming uh, this man who was born blind. So follow along if you want to grab your, your Bible or phone or tablet or wherever you have the scriptures there. We're going to be looking at chapter 9 in the book of John. And we're going through the whole chapter. The whole chapter tells this story. So we won't read it all, but we'll just kind of follow along um, just with some, some points along the way. It's a story about a man who was born blind, and I thought it would be helpful for us to imagine what it would be like to be this guy, like to imagine being born blind, that nothing uh, is visible to you. Everything is pitch black from your earliest memory on. So let's imagine, uh, if you would, what it would be like to be this man born blind. You know, if you ever played one of those games where you, you get blindfolded, and you have to do some kind of, someone's maybe leading you through something. And I don't know about you, I remember as a kid playing that game and just, you know, feeling the sides of the walls to make sure I was in the right place, having so much fear and anxiety, like, am I going to bump into something? Am I going to fall off of something? Uh, and then, you know, if you're being led by somebody, you're wondering, where am I going to end up when this is all over? And you just can't wait to pull that handkerchief off your eyes. Well, imagine that feeling you know i know that it's not anything like really being blind but but so many of us in this season are experiencing some similar feelings right this anxiety this fear uh, living in this pandemic this um, virus situation right now has caused a lot of us to feel like we're fumbling in the dark you know wondering what's going to hit us or what are we going to run into or where might we be on the other side of this? And so those anxieties and those fears are, are real. 
but imagine if you couldn't see anything and everything was pitch black for you. So in, to help us do that a little bit, I thought we would turn the lights off in this room and we would create a completely black environment for a moment. So on your screens, you won't see anything as we go black now. Imagine if this was all you could see, pure, utter blackness when you opened your eyes from the moment you were born. And in that day, as a blind person, your only role and place in society was really just a bag on the street corner. And so as soon as you were old enough, you were sent out there to beg. And, and this particular day, you're out in the street corner begging as usual. And you hear these voices come by you. And one of them says to another, Rabbi, teacher, uh, why is this guy born blind? Is it because he sinned or his parents sinned that caused this? So they're talking about you right in front of you. And you're, you're piqued your interest. You want to kind of hear what they're saying. And this teacher, this rabbi, responds to them, and he says, you know, that's not uh, the question. It's not about what his parents did or he did, that this blindness is something that God can reveal his glory in, that this, this disability is to show the works of God. Now, I don't know what you might be imagining at this point as you're hearing this. Maybe, maybe it's the first time you've heard this idea that this challenge that you've been facing and living with your whole life is not because of something you did or that your parents did. It's not some kind of punishment that God could actually use it to show his glory and his works. I wonder if there's even a little hope that kind of stirs in your heart as you hear this. Well, this teacher goes on to say that there is a darkness and, and even a growing darkness, but, but that this teacher says, he declares right in your earshot, he says, I am the light of the world. Now, I wonder what you must be thinking now because you've never seen light before, but you know what it is. You've heard people talk about it. The light of the world is standing like right near you. I'm gonna light a candle now to symbolize this. the light of the world. What do you notice about the light and the darkness? Right, even this tiny little flame blots out the darkness around it. The darkness has no chance to take out this flame. John 1, 4 says this about Jesus. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You can see this flame and, and the power it has over the darkness. And this teacher who describes himself as the light of the world steps even closer to you at this point and you hear him spit into the ground next to you and he's making some kind of mud or paste with his hands out of his saliva and the dirt. And then out of the blue, all of a sudden, his hands press this dirt right onto your eyes just, you can't expect it. That must have felt so weird to have this person just push this mud onto your eyes. But you hear this kind voice, and he says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And so you do, because what have you got to lose, you know? And, and you, you kind of stumble through the darkness towards the pool, and, and you push the, you splash this water on your, your face and you're pushing the, the mud out of your eyes. And as you open your eyes, 
you begin to see for the very first time in your life. Just like these first words of God in the Bible begin the whole story, let there be light. What would that have been like to see for the very first time? <clears throat> what would you want to look at first? You know, it might be the clouds, the, the sky, the sunset, maybe the birds you've been hearing all your life around you, and maybe it's the, the faces of your, your family and friends. You want to just finally put a face uh, to that voice, the face you've been imagining uh, your whole life. Well, that's exactly what happens in this story. This young man runs home and he tells his family and friends everything that happened. He can't contain this incredible story. And it literally turns the whole community upside down. The questions are pouring in from all over. No one can believe that this really happened, that this person who was born blind has been healed and they want to know like is it really the same person maybe it just looked like this person uh, and, and they're trying to figure it out wrap their heads around this incredible miracle the religious leaders of the town are particularly kind of confused and their idea and paradigm of God is just really disrupted by this whole event and so they're kind of wanting to get get down to it and sort of figure it out. So they haul this, this young guy in uh, to, for questioning to kind of figure out what happened. It, it's in verse um, 10. They said to him, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. Kind of straightforward, as simple as that. He just sort of tells them what happened. But it's not enough for them. The, the Pharisees are still just confused and, and they're thrown off. And one of the main things that throws them off is that this miracle occurred on the Sabbath. And so the idea that this man was doing something to earn this favor of God, this miracle of God on the Sabbath, he'd be breaking a Sabbath rule. But the idea that he didn't do anything to deserve this miracle is even more of a mystery. How could this amazing miracle be a gift of grace? Nothing that you could ever earn or deserve. And their, their idea of this grace and, and this gift of God is so new. They're trying to understand it, but they're also trying to kind of push it away or, or dismiss it to maintain their idea of God and the control that they want to have on, um, on their culture and the society around them. Verse 18 says, The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? So they brought the parents in for questioning to kind of get down to the bottom of it and, and asking them, is this really your son? Was this the person you raised that, that was born blind his whole life and now he sees, is this true? And how did it happen? I mean, the parents are, they're amazed too and they just affirm that yes, this is what happened and if you want more answers, I guess you could talk to our son. They say he's old enough to speak for himself so if you want to get more details, you should probably talk to him directly. And 
that's what they do. They bring the, this young man in again for this second interrogation. And, and this time the questions get more intense and they take on a kind of an aggressive nature, wanting to kind of demean and diminish the truth of, of this story. They ask him so many times that he kind of has a kind of a cool, kind of a funny reply uh, to them that really sets him off. You know, he, he says to them, you know, you're asking me so many questions about this over and over. Is it because you might want to be a disciple of Jesus too? You know, and they're like, that just, they just kind of lose it at that point. And uh, the, the young man goes on to kind of share with them, like, how are you so confused about this being from God or not? Because this miracle is so amazing. It's got to be the work of God. Well, in verse 34, they answer him. And they say, you were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? You know, kind of like, what do you have to say to us? And it says that they cast him out. They just rejected him, just utterly dismissed his whole story, his whole experience, and kicked him out of not just that meeting, but kind of out of like thinking society as a whole. He was rejected. Questions are good. Questions are good to have. And, and you and I may have questions about, about God and the, the mysteries of, of God. And it's great to bring those questions to one another and even to God himself. And maybe you have questions about even your situation and this, this pandemic that we're in right now as a, as a world. Questions like, um, you know, how, how are we going to make it through this challenge maybe there's practical questions like how are you going to manage your finances or pay your bills and maybe there's health questions how how are you going to survive this and how will the world survive this or questions even of why would god allow something like this to happen questions are are good and they can often lead us to truth but the pharisees they weren't asking those kind of questions were they they were more about protecting and preserving what they thought to be true. They were looking to disprove and protect. They were closed-minded. They, they didn't want to be open to anything new that God might want to do. They wanted to control with a tight grip um, their perspective and their paradigm and their way of seeing things. You know, this story has a third act and it's my favorite part of the story because as this young man is rejected and kicked out his his experience doesn't end there the one who started this whole thing comes back on the scene who was it you know that kind of kicked our story off who was the one who kind of lit the match and started all this commotion in the first place well it's jesus and Jesus comes back. Jesus hears about this man who was rejected and kicked out. And Jesus seeks after him and finds him. In Luke 19.10, Jesus says this about himself. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And that's exactly what happens here. Jesus finds this man. He hears about this man. He finds him. And he meets up with him and he, he just asks him this question, do you believe? And this man answers, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? 
because he hadn't seen Jesus yet, right? When, when he was first healed, he only heard Jesus' voice and he had stumbled to this pool in the darkness and he had washed his eyes with this water. And then when he saw, Jesus was not in the picture any longer. He heard about Jesus through these interrogations with the Pharisees, but this is his first time that he's face to face again with Jesus. And Jesus says this to him in verse 37. You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. you know, finally, this man connects a voice with a face. He recognizes this voice, and he sees Jesus' face for the first time. His response is immediate. He says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Imagine one more time you're this man, this, this young man who has gone through the gamut of emotions, right? The roller coaster of experiences. You, you've been blind your whole life and, and then you experience this amazing healing and you tell all your friends and family and community and then, but then you experience the blows and the dejection and, and the ridicule and the, the interrogation of the leaders and, and, and then and then you're just, you're kicked out. You're just utterly rejected. And then Jesus finds you and he meets up with you and he, he just invites you to this relationship, this place of, of connection. What is it that makes you reply so quickly to believe in Jesus? You know, what is it about Jesus that is different than anyone else you've ever met before? What's it about his, his facial expressions? How do you experience Jesus' love in this moment, this conversation? I imagine it's, it's that unjudgmental welcome that Jesus offers, that, that caring, loving way of seeking you out, finding you, and inviting you in to friendship and relationship and, and salvation. And we know that, that this man experiences salvation because of what Romans 10.9 says. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save. That's what his mission was. Jesus came to save. He went out of his way to find us, to seek us, and to save us. He came down from heaven to bring healing and wholeness and freedom for everyone. Jesus finds us in our absolute need. When we've been dejected, when we've been kicked out and abandoned, Jesus finds us in that kind of a place and he brings salvation to us. He invites us to relationship with himself. And yet we still experience persecution in this world, but Jesus doesn't leave us there. He finds us. He meets us there. This is the story that we're all living in today. You know, the final words of Jesus in this story are interesting. He talks a little bit more about his mission to save and to bring sight to the spiritually blind. And, and the Pharisees overhear these last few words and they speak up and they say, are you saying that we're blind? 
And then Jesus' parting comments, his shot over the bow is, is challenging. He says, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty. But you remain guilty because you claim you can see. You know, they couldn't see Jesus. They didn't want to see Jesus, the Savior of the world who is standing right in front of them. This same Jesus was questioned by these same leaders, these same Pharisees. Jesus was, was ridiculed and, and interrogated. And then finally, Jesus was dejected and, and cast out. Jesus was, was um, pushed aside and, in fact, condemned to death, to die in our place on the cross, to pay our debt for sin. And he was raised again on the third day, confirming that this darkness could never put out the light of the world. That Jesus offers us a way to, to be spiritually whole and to see. I wonder where in your life do you most need this light of the world? Where is it darkest for you right now? And, and how might this light be helpful to you? You know, maybe you're a family watching this in your living room around the couch and, and there's so many things that you're managing each day, trying to figure out homeschooling and meals and, and taking care of your household and keeping people busy and safe. And, and maybe you're thinking about your own employment and how you're going to, to pay the bills and keep things going. You know, maybe you're uh, an older couple or an older person that's at the at-risk population from this virus and you're particularly worried about this disease and how it might impact your health and safety. Or, or maybe you're, you're a single person and, and this quarantine, this stay-at-home situation has just enhanced your sense of loneliness and disconnection. And how might, in all those situations, this light of the world meet us in our darkness and lead us to hope? Jesus was sent by God to save. And in the, the story we hear that this pool of Siloam, our, our Bibles say it means sent. And a few verses earlier, Jesus refers to himself as the one sent by God. And that theme of God sending Jesus to us is woven throughout the entire Bible. And the question that Jesus poses to this young man, do you believe, is the same question for us, for each of us this morning. This man responds so quickly and, and so simply to that question. He says, Lord, I believe. And I invite you to whisper that prayer, maybe silently in your heart as we close in the next couple minutes, just to say, Lord, I believe. May your eyes be opened in new ways today. That's our prayer. May the light of the world illuminate the dark places in your life and bring healing and wholeness and peace. Let's pray together. God, I do ask that you would guide us, that your light would show the way to peace, that you would lead us on that path together. I pray for those who are far from you 
and, and seeking you. And those questions are, are right in the front of their minds. And God, I ask that you would meet them and that you would invite them to relationship with you. And I pray that you would give us all the faith to say, Lord, I believe. In fact, let's take a moment of silence to bring that faith to God to say, Lord, I believe. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Amen.